I'm on my way home. I'll be in my driveway, so it's okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. First of all, we are going to try to limit the amount of car cast podcasts that we do. We're gonna do a poll. This is what you want to do? You want to start this by doing a poll? Yes. Okay. So because <laughs> we want to keep these as fresh as possible. Yeah. And we can't really record in the afternoon because I have to go in and work. So the easiest way to do it in terms of getting them out first thing in the morning with fresh information is with me doing it while I'm driving home at night. Now, Amal, the super nerd, and I say that as a term of respect, because in this case, his nerddom is important. He wants this podcast to sound good. And I will say that I have listened to podcasts with bad sound, and they're infuriating to listen to. So the audience has a choice. While things aren't perfect in terms of timing in the playoffs, we can continue to car cast these so you get the news as early as possible and as fresh as possible, but not with great sound. Or you can get better sound, but maybe not as timely. So we want to know what you think. That's our official poll. And with that, we'll kick off the podcast. Great intro, Elliot. Welcome to 31 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. First of all, we'll begin this podcast by apologizing for the bags under Amal Delich's eyes tomorrow <laughs> as he puts together this podcast in the wee, wee hours. Uh, we'll try to make this, Amal, as mistake-free as possible, uh, but given how Elliot and I behave, there are no guarantees. Yeah, we appreciate you, Amal, and we appreciate our listeners, so that's why we want to leave a lot of this choice up to you. Amen. Okay, not that long ago, although it seems like it was a million years ago, we were in Chicago at the uh, NHL media launch, the NHL car wash, as it's called. And one of our interviews was with Nick Ehlers. And this was on the heels of all the rumors about Ehlers and Ehlers isn't a playoff guy and he's going to the Boston Bruins. And he talked about how he heard all these things and sort of used that as fuel, playing with a chip on his shoulder, all of that. After tonight... Two goals, including the game winner on a really nice curl and drag shot. Yeah. All that stuff about Ehlers and playoffs that we'd heard in years previous, that's all gone now, right? That's all gone. It changed last year, and I thought a lot about Paul Stasny. Our interview with Paul Stasny last week where he told us that Ehlers' nickname is Fly, yeah. and he talked about how much that changed Wheeler's outlook and how much more confident a person uh, he was, and I thought that was the case all night tonight. In the post-game interview, he talked about how he blew a defensive assignment, but it didn't crater his game, right? He'd scored one earlier, and obviously he scored a big one later. It was a huge game for him. He's a completely different person, and you could just see that whole game change. Now, I have to let you in on something, Jeff, okay. and by extension, Amal and the audience. So... Archibald took that penalty, right? Yeah, that was a turning point for Winnipeg. And I felt, you know, it had to be mentioned because it was a big turning point. 
And then, you know, I mentioned it after the game, and we thought we had to do it again in the overnight hit. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it a third time. Like, maybe I'm soft. Uh, maybe I'm weak. I couldn't use it a third time. I, I just, it, look, I, I know what it's like to have a bad night. I think everybody knows what it's like to have a bad day. Unfortunately, you know the rules going in, as I always say. You you make these mistakes on this scale, and everybody sees them. And I accept that in my career, and I think all NHL players accept that too. I couldn't go there a third time. I was like, it's enough. I can't do it again. Yeah. I, that whole third, though, and that whole comeback started with that with the hit on Logan Stanley. Well, I'll tell you something else, Jeff. I think it started too. I think the Oilers took their foot off the gas in terms of the way they were forechecking and attacking. Yeah. And it contributed to it. Listen, Dave Tippett talked a lot about that in his post-game presser as well, without getting into any specifics. You could tell like when coaches start talking about learning lessons and learning how not to play, you, you know exactly what they're going for. And that's what Tippett talked about after the game. Uh, on Sunday, and and now it's a stranglehold. Now it's Winnipeg up three nothing, and the thoughts of the Edmonton Oilers winning four games in a row. Whew! It's Connor McDavid and Leon Drysdale, so you never count them out. But man, down three nothing against a Winnipeg Jets team that just had an incredible comeback, an incredible third period comeback. Yeah, and I don't know. If I'm Winnipeg, I'm feeling great about myself. If I'm Edmonton, man, this is a tough one to recover from. I know they're all pro athletes and rearview mirror, yeah. and that's how you got there and mentally training, but that's a tough one to park, man. That's a really tough one. And well, the other thing, too, is if you're the Oilers, Mike Smith back-to-back. -back, yeah. You're probably going and asking him if he can do it. Yes. You know what he's going to say. He's going to say he can do it. He's going to say, of course, I would probably put him in. If you really believe that he's good enough to play, I'd probably put him in. If I'm going down, I'm going down with Mike Smith, but it's not an easy decision. He's Dave Tippett's default setting. Yeah. Mike Smith is the default setting there. Okay, so a couple of things to get to here, and uh, as we wait to see what happens with the, the Winnipeg Jets uh, and the Edmonton Oilers, uh, a couple of teams eliminated uh, from Stanley Cup playoff contention here. Uh, both of them, recent Stanley Cup champions themselves as well, want to get to St. Louis, but we'll start with the Washington Capitals. Uh, the only game they win in this series, Elliot, is the first one. They are bounced in five, and now the questions begin. First of all, I loved that they kept the camera on Chara during Handshake yes. Alley. Not that I'm a huge Handshake guy to begin with, but I thought that one was poignant. That one was real special. And one moment stood out more than any of them to me, and that was the hug that McAvoy gave Chara. I thought you were going to say Bergeron. That was a good one, too. But just what, what Chara did for McAvoy to help establish his career. Like, McAvoy didn't even try to go in for a handshake. He just, like, tried to lunge at Chara to give him a big bear hug. I just yeah. thought it was a wonderful moment. We're all sitting here wondering, is this the end? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. Just the look in his eyes. Just think, and it was great camera work. Before they did the handshake line, they, they showed Chara and the look in his eyes. Yeah, I I don't know. I've always had that feeling about Chara. Like, they're just as, as long as uh, he wants to play, as long as someone's going to pay to keep him in the league. 
And even then, he might just come back and play anyway. I don't know. Doesn't he kind of have that, you'll have to drag me off the ice? Yes. Kicking yes. and screaming vibe. But that's how I've always felt about Chara. I'm with you on that. It just It was hard not to think about it with the look in his eyes. You know, there was a little bit of Chara, the way he looks at you. And I know I'm totally overthinking this in the moment. I get it. The way he always looks at you, his eyes look like they're looking through you. They're, they're intense. They're boring right like a hole through whichever part of your body he's looking at. Yeah. Those look more, he looked more resigned, a little bit sadder. Um, then you know normally I would I would see him and that really stuck out to me. It really grabbed me. So I mean I don't know, but you know Washington they're gonna have some big decisions. You know Kuznetsov that Oof. that awful play that took the goal away, the the one that made it could have made it three too late. To me that's the biggest decision is you know where are they going with him? You know someone texted me tonight and they said. You know, Washington's lost in the first round three times since they won the Cup. Uh, is this who they really are, and is the Cup a fluke? And I don't buy that for a second. I, I think that's crazy. I, I think they've been a hell of a team for a long time, and I don't think their Stanley Cup is a fluke. But what I do think, and I don't think it's a coincidence, is, hey, Ovechkin deserved the consummate that year, but Kuznetsov was the X factor. And since that season, like he was so good. If you had given Kuznetsov the con smite that year, I would have been totally okay with that. This since then, he has been terrible. Well, maybe terrible is a bad word, but he, he hasn't been what you expect of him. And they've lost that. His drop and decline has taken Washington kind of with it. I'm with you on uh, that penalty on the Eller play on the on the Eller goal. I I still can't f- I, I I can't figure out, and I watched it in real time, and I've watched the replays and thought about it since. I can't think of what's going through his mind at that time when he does that. Like, what does he think the outcome is? Like, what do you think is going to happen at the end of that play? We all understand that it feels like the Washington Capitals are at the end of the rope with Kuznetsov right now. But what yep. can you do? It's four more years. Uh, it's $7.8 million. Yep. In this time right now with flat cap and budgets tightened, even if they wanted to do something with Kuznetsov, could they? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's hard. You make a really good point. I'm just looking at it from their point of view. I totally realize you ask a fair question for every seller. There's got to be a buyer and his value is low right now, as low as it's ever been. I just think that's their biggest off season question. Like, I mean, obviously the biggest one is Ovechkin. Yeah. I can't see that not working out. I know Washington is one of those teams that's really working the expansion draft hard. They're, concerned about some of the choices they might have to potentially make. I don't know. So I, I, I've kind of wondered if maybe with Ovechkin, it's one of those things where they wait until after the expansion draft and sign him. That's just me talking out of my butt. So I understand Ovechkin is the number one thing. I think that one sorts itself out. Mm-hmm. But after that, Kuznetsov now becomes your number one issue. Where's the Samsonov 
situation and the uh, in the hierarchy of issues here for Washington? Well, it's there. There's no question about it. Losing Vanacek in the playoffs really hurt them. He really saved them early in the season when Samsonov was out. You know, last year they made a coaching change because they felt that Todd Reardon, one of the toughest things to do is to move from an assistant on a team to a head coach, right? Yes. On the same team. Yes. Because you go from the good cop to the bad cop. Yeah. And it, it doesn't work. It rarely works. So now they make the change for that reason because they felt that the players weren't buying into that and they hated the way they came back in the bubble. And then what happens? They come back and they're really banged up. I think that's one thing that's fair. I think they're really banged up, but they lose again, and some of it goes sideways because of bad choices. Boy, I, I think that's a big question for the franchise. You know, you know you're talented, you know you're beaten up a bit, but I think you're looking and you're saying some of these wounds are self-inflicted. How do we get out of that cycle? Mm-hmm. Um, want to ask one final thing about, uh, Ovechkin, then we'll move on. I'm going to get your thoughts on the Boston Bruins here. What does a next contract look like for Ovechkin? Is it term or is, does he turn into the evergreen man and is on one year, big money deals each and every season? I don't think it'll be a one year, big money deal. I don't see that. I've wondered about that. I don't think that's the case. You know, I, I've heard rumblings about four-year deals, which ties him into Backstrom. The number in millions is a two-digit number. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be something like that. You know, there's an understanding here. You know, people are going to look at this and they're going to say, yeah, you shouldn't pay a, a guy at his age that number. This is a different case. How much more are the Washington Capitals worth because Alexander exactly. Ovechkin is there? This is a legacy contract as much as a as an anything else contract. And the other thing, too, is you're getting the Gretzky goal chase out of it, too, right? Yeah. So this is about as much as how much he's worth to the franchise as as much as how much do you pay a guy who's, you know, when it's over, he's going to be 40. It's not about that. 100% agree. This is a contract that's not just about how many wins is Alex Ovechkin going to contribute to and chases for the Stanley Cup. It's the Gretzky race and it's what it's what has happened to the Washington Capitals and I hate using terms like brand, but here I go. Look what's happened to that brand since Ovechkin got there and what that brand is now with Ovechkin. That's why no matter what the number is going to be for Alex Ovechkin, I'll look at it and I'll say, that's a really good number, but it's still probably not enough for what this guy has meant to that franchise. Oh, 100%. I am totally... You can't pay this guy enough. No. He, he deserves every penny he's going to get. The Boston Bruins move on. And we should point out, too, Taylor Hall moves on to the second round. First time ever. Looking like a real nice deal. What do you make of the Boston Bruins and their performance uh, against the Caps? And you got to surrender it here for Tuka Rask, big time. Yes, fantastic. You know, with Hall, too, think about it. They were how close to going down 2 nothing when Hall scored. Yeah. Turning point of the series. Rask, great. McAvoy, great. This year, of all my awards, the hardest one was the Norris. 
Mm-hmm. McAvoy was on my Norris ballot last year. He was not on it this year, but he's a great player, man. Yeah. He's a great player. Marchand was on my heart ballot this year. You know, there, there's one thing about my heart ballot. Uh, it's, they're already in. I really regret already, but Marchand is on it. I, I think he had a phenomenal year. I just think they're really good. Like, that's a team in the playoffs. Their their identity, it just fits so well. And with Rask, I'm happy for Rask because of everything he went through last year and his commitment getting questioned for terrible reasons. I'm very happy for Rask. Amen. Uh, okay. St. Louis Blues eliminated, swept yep. by the Colorado Avalanche. 5-2 is the final on Sunday. Let me ask you the same question that the uh, anonymous person on your text asked you about the Caps. Yeah. Was St. Louis's cup a fluke? Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't believe when you win the Stanley Cup, it's a fluke. I don't believe that. But again, you know, we talked about with Washington, Kuznetsov's still there, but he's lost his effectiveness for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They lost Petrangelo and... The one thing that interests me the most about the Blues is their general manager. He is fearless. Yes. And he will take this very emotionally, Doug Armstrong. Very emotionally. What we've seen from Doug Armstrong, for those that may not have been paying attention to the St. Louis Blues the last few years, if he doesn't think his team is good, regardless of whether they're in a playoff chase or even in a playoff position, Come trade deadline, he's not shy about moving out players. That's been Doug Armstrong. I think it's even more than that. I I think that the Petrangelo thing, you know, last year, what did he say? He said, I can't let this player have more power than the owner, basically, right? So if the St. Louis Blues aren't going to give Alex Petrangelo everything he wanted in terms of a full no-move club, they're willing to give him some things, but not everything, right? Yeah. That tells you that that organization is married to no player. Mm-hmm. So after a finish like this one, and you know that that's the kind of the philosophy of the organization, if I was a player on the St. Louis Blues, I wouldn't feel incredibly comfortable about what could happen. And that's everybody. Obviously, I think some players are closer to untouchable than others. But, you know, it's hard not to look at this and say, what could they do? To me, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the offseason because they won't think that this will be acceptable. So then here become the questions. Yeah. For the St. Louis Blues here. One, we should point out as well, Jordan Bennington goes to $6 million next season as well. He's so there's a, yes. there's a there's a bump in pay there. There yep. are questions around Jaden Schwartz, free agent, yep. Tyler Bozak, Mike Hoffman. And there are a lot yep. of questions about Mike Hoffman and where's his position on the power play for a large part uh, yep. of this season. There's questions out there immediately for the St. Louis Blues, regardless of what you want to do by way of trade and doing other things. But right away, there's three pieces of business there in Schwartz, Bozak, and Hoffman. Do you have a thought on that? Boy, I got to think that Bozak is going elsewhere. Uh, Hoffman, it just didn't work. I don't see him staying there. You know, Schwartz, they wanted to keep Schwartz. Uh <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. You there? 
Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. I just got home and into my driveway. Maybe that's what happened. Okay, I turned my Wi-Fi off. So where was the last place I was? Jaden Schwartz. <laughs> okay, no, I, I, you know, I talked like five minutes after that. Okay. Oh my god, that's so, <laughs> so funny. So Jaden Schwartz, like they obviously wanted to keep him. That's why they didn't trade him. You know, they have huge respect for him on and off the ice. I just see the Blues as a team that takes a timeout because nothing's going to happen in the short term anyway, mm-hmm. but starts to say we have to make some hard decisions here because that's also a no BS organization. Like they speak pretty honestly internally there. I think they're going to talk about some very difficult decisions and say, okay, do we have to change the direction of our group? Uh, Do we use the R word here? Rebuild? No, I don't think so. Yeah. No. I don't believe that because I, I still think they have a lot of good pieces. Oh, for sure they do. Like I could see St. Louis saying to Buffalo, what do we have to do to be in the Eichel conversation here? Now, Buffalo might not want to deal with them again, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I could see that. They have some good young players there, but I could see them doing not a rebuild, but what can we do to re-energize ourselves here? I wonder how much of it you look at and you say, like, first of all, you're right. They have real good high-end hockey players on this team, whether it's, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, whether it's, you know, uh, Braden Shen. And that mixes in with players like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. All successful teams do this. When you have really good young players, you want to make sure you have good veterans around them, but not veterans that are sort of out of reach and in a completely different phase of their life. Like these are still players that are youngish enough that they can still have some type of influence on younger hockey players. That's why I'm with you. I don't think you look at St. Louis and go, eh, you know what? Last year it was Vancouver. This year it's Colorado. Team's not good enough. Let's tear the whole thing down. To me, that's foolish. But I think you need to be looking at what's this team going to look like in three to five years when Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo have more significant positions in the organization. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's very fair. You know, someone sent me a text tonight. Do you think that you know Barube is in trouble? I was going to ask you that, and I was like, he won the Stanley Cup two years ago. The only way I think that for any reason would he not want to be there? Listen, good on Craig Barube because I can remember you know when he was you know interviewing uh, for positions in the DEL in Germany. And then caught on with the St. Louis Blues and then ended up taking over and getting a head coaching position and winning the Stanley Cup. Like, why would you? He's kind of fresh back in the game. I don't know why you'd want to step away. The only thing I would wonder about St. Louis and coaching, I mean, aside from if for whatever reason, Barube didn't want to be there anymore, is they have Mike Van Ryan on the bench. And I think he's going to be on Arizona's short list. But again, what did we talk about before with Todd Reardon in Washington is it's very hard to go from an assistant to a head on the same team. I don't know. Like I was surprised to get that text because I would think this guy won two years ago. Why would it even be a question? So they're bounced out by the Colorado Avalanche. And I want to get to Nassim Kadri here in a couple of moments. Yep. But first, uh, a thought on, on the Avs, not that we can glean much from the 
from looking at a St. Louis Blues series that kind of went the way we all thought it would go. I mean, most of us thought it would go this way. Nathan McKinnon, outstanding. Gabriel Landeskog, listen, I've got him as my Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Uh, Kale McCarr, Philip Grubauer with a 936 save percentage. I don't know that we really learned a whole lot about the Avalanche more than confirmed what we believed about the Avalanche going in, right? Well, we learned they have a killer instinct. They did not let St. Louis up off the mat. Mm -hmm. So one of my friends says to me today, do you think that Colorado should throw game four to burn another game off Kadri's suspension? Yeah, you're really playing with fire when you do stuff like that. First of all, I'm like, who thinks of these things? People think of these things. Of course they do. Come on. Why do you come at I said to my buddy, like, why do you come at me with these? This is the, by the way, this is the same person who came at me with the Carey Price conspiracy theory oh, after game how one he, of the he, Toronto series. He pitched, it, pitched it in Laval. Yes. <laughs> so is, is this the kind of guy that says, do you really want to win game four on the road? Wouldn't you rather do it at home? Just throw game four on the road and, and, uh, and get another home date out of it. Home gates. See that kind of guy? Yeah, that, that kind of thing, yes. But for so they didn't. Like they fell behind in game uh, four, one, nothing, and they still ran away with the game. That's a team with a killer instinct. I love that in the playoffs. And for all their players who played well, and a lot of guys played really well, you know who I thought was excellent this series was Landis Cog. Listen. Nathan McKinnon gets the headlines for good reason. Guy's one of the best players in the world. You know, Miko yes. Rantanen gets headlines. Wow, what a release this guy has. I've maintained this for a long time now. Landis Cog is the guy that holds that line together. Those guys go all over the ice because of Landis Cog. Those guys do whatever they want. They can do marvelous things out on the ice because of Gabriel Landis Cog. You know, there's a great, I mean, we can think back to that game one. Uh, between these two teams where he has fight? that there's a fight with Braden Shen, right? So this is after Rantanen gets hit. And I was reminded by someone afterwards, I was talking to uh, an OHL colleague and he said, do you remember that Kitchener Sault Ste. Marie game? It was Landis Cog, I think it was a rookie season and Jake Muzzin, uh defenseman with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds now of the Maple Leafs, of course. And Muzzin was one of the tougher guys in the OHL and Muzzin ran one of the Rangers hard right by the Rangers bench. And Atlantis Cog was either on the ice for it or it was the next shift, went right at Jake Muzzin and handed it to him. And everybody on the Kitchener Rangers bench went, because it was like one of the first fights I think that he had had uh, in his entire career. Like you just took on like this monster in Sault Ste. Marie. When I'm watching that Braden Shen fight, I was reminded of that one because every punch had anger in it. You know how there are like some fights, Ellie, where two guys, it's almost like they're agreeing to have a fight and there's not much anger in it, but they're going through the motions because that's what the moment calls for. Landis Cog and Shen, like there was anger and determination in every single one of those punches that Landis Cog threw. And you look at it, every single game, two assists, here's a goal and an assist. Great tip in game four. He's just a, such a fantastic hot. And that's why, you know, I really want Colorado to go deep here, mainly because I want people to know Gabe Landeskog more. To me, he's one of the most entertaining and interesting players in the game, but he's shadowed by listen, Nathan McKinnon. It's like one of the best players in the world. So I get it in Ranton and two. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned Landeskog because I, I think the guy's fantastic. 
and sneaky, sneaky tough. And maybe, as someone told me, not so sneaky. Yeah, well, and pound for pound, one of the strongest, maybe not toughest, but strongest players in the NHL. I got all, I got all day for Landis Gog. That makes two of us. Nazem Kadri uh, will appeal the eight-game suspension. Uh, and as you've mentioned, initially it goes to Gary Bettman. Yep. And then it, uh, if that's not satisfactory for the player, it goes to an independent arbitrator. Are you surprised that he chose to appeal this? Yes and no. I said yes because I think these are very difficult to win. You know, for example, when Tom Wilson last appealed one of his, yeah. what was the timeline? Basically, it worked that he got money back, but he'd already missed a ton of games, right? Yes. It's not like it really benefited him in terms of games played, which I think is what this is all about for Kadri. Mm-hmm. It saved him some money, but that's not really a factor here. But the reason that I'm not surprised is... As the week after the suspension was done, I heard very quickly that Kadri was upset and he wanted to appeal it. And he was determined to appeal it. I had to wait until it was finalized. You know, Chris Johnston mentioned it on Saturday night uh, that it looked that way. But I believe Kadri, from the moment the suspension came down, he wanted to appeal it. And ultimately, it's his right. If he says, I want to appeal it, then, you know, he should. That's the way it works. It's going to be a challenge for him. There's no question about it. So what I think he wants to do is to get it down from eight games to five or six. And if you look at that suspension, that hit, for first-time offenders, that hit can get two or three games. It's usually not eight. And the reason that it got this high is because it's Caudry and it had been two previous times in the playoffs. I think he wants, like I said, I think he wants to get it down to five or six. You know, I was going through some of the language this weekend. If you take a look at the NHL appeals process, there's specific language in there in terms of what the commissioner and the arbitrator have to rule on and i'm going to read it to you because i saved it on my phone right here so a player who appeals basically the standard of review will be whether the league's finding a violation of the league playing rules and the penalty imposed were both supported by substantial evidence that's what bettman And the arbitrator, he or she, will eventually have to rule on should we get there. You know, I mean, that's what we're at here. I think that one of the reasons that Kadri is appealing is because Tom Wilson didn't get anything for his the incident with Panarin. The challenge will be Wilson got 20 for a similar hit years ago. The other challenge will be that they basically invented a suspension for Wilson this year. He got seven games for a hit on Carlo from Boston that nobody has ever gotten suspended for. The other challenge will be that when Kadri hit, remember a couple of years ago in Toronto, he hit one of the Sedin twins? 
yeah. on a shot. He didn't get suspended because he got him on the shoulder. And that was a very controversial non-suspension. So I think what the league is going to do is pull together all of these pieces of evidence and say, this is our, and plus the fact that Kadri has history. And the one thing I would like to suggest, I think the league needs to change the repeat offender language. From 18 months? Yeah. Like, I understand it because I've been around it a lot. Even the Avalanche got it wrong. And I think as a team, you have to make sure you get that right. But I think you should just change the way it's worded. Because too many people out there think repeat offender is 18 months when that's only for how your fine is affected. The message has to be your history always is taken into account. Okay, so we will uh, we will stay tuned for the for the conclusion of this process, and we should point out too, not that we think it will happen, mm-hmm. um, but someone did ask me this uh, tonight. Gary Bettman can actually say, actually, eight games is a little light. My decision is ten. Yeah, you're right. If that's not happening, he no, I don't think it's happening either. But just so we're all on the same page because it may come into play somewhere down the road. And not to be surprised by it, when you do this process and you go through it, the commissioner could say, you know what? You got a point there. That eight, now it's a 10. I just think this is going to be all about, I think Kadri will consider this a victory if he gets it down to five or six games. Okay, Elliot, before we say goodnight, um, Edmonton's Josh Archibald, this just tweeted out as we record this podcast in the wee hours. It's now Monday morning, by the way. NHL Department of Player Safety tweeting out Edmonton's Josh Archibald will have a hearing Monday for clipping Winnipeg's Logan Stanley. There you go. Well, now I'm even more glad I didn't do it again because that's just too much piling on. Like that would be, I would not enjoy that. Uh, So that's our podcast for today. Emil, thanks for making it sound tasty. And please remember to send us tweets. Please do. Do you like it this way to get it on time and fresh? Or do you prefer that you don't like the way it sounds? And if it means we come a bit later and we're a bit more stale, like day old bread. <laughs> now you're from biasing the jury here, Elliot. <laughs> then, but please, like you're the audience you matter and Amal does really care about the sound yes, and I respect that but that's one of the things we've talked about from the beginning of this podcast we want to make it really pleasing to the ears that's why there's not yes. a lot of yelling and screaming and big noises and waka waka morning radio kind of stuff so um, do you want it soothing for your ears or you just want raw facts uh, and get it out quick your decision not ours taking us out a bit of a nod to our Australian listeners taking us out a Melbourne band and putting some catchy tracks out with some great lo-fi sound powered by progressive harmonies and emotive instrumentals. Elliot, are you impressed that I come up with this language off the top of my head each and every show? It's pretty amazing. From the land down under, here's High School with DeFacto on 31 Thoughts, the podcast.